got a bad feeling about this. It's a trap! There's a great disturbance in the force. As if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror. Great kid! Get cocky! You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome everyone to the Cocky Cockpit Podcast, the show intended for the wretched hive of scum and villainy. I'm your host from the outpost, David Frischkorn. I'm your other host, Collegbert. Guys, welcome back to part two of our Rogue One reactions. If you're new to this channel, no problem. Let me explain you what we do here. We are a Star Wars comedy discussion podcast where each week we bring a new topic that is just as random as a blaster, but intended for a more civilized age. If you are here for the first time and you like what you see, make sure that you hit that like button. And if you want to see more, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Uh, and that's how we're going to be able to keep making more awesome content like this for you guys. So uh, what we're looking at now is part two of our discussion of Rogue One. So in part one, Dave shared his thoughts, the good, the bad, and the awesome. So to kind of quickly recap, Dave, obviously, you know, he My, loves the villains. Right. My good was the villains, right? Uh, and again, guys, you can check out all of this just by hitting that link. My bad was uh, Bodhi Rook the pilot who defected from the Empire, and my awesome was, this movie was Star Wars. Yeah, and you know what's really funny is when we did that recap just now, mm -hmm. until that happened, I had forgotten that that was your bad. Oh, yeah. Like, I had forgotten that Bodhi Rook was... <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making a joke. I'm not kidding. Like, the character really is that forgettable, um, which ties in really well with my bad, and we'll get to that. So for me, the good is something a little bit less easy to pin down than the villains, which of course were excellent. Um, for me, the thing that I love the most about Rogue One, well, maybe not the thing I love the most, but something that I really love about Rogue One, and the feeling, it, it, it gave me this feeling that I was kind of like a little kid again. And the reason why is it just made the galaxy feel so big. Okay, It felt so much bigger uh, than it ever has in any other Star Wars movie. I mean, you look at the other Star Wars movies, you got the cross board, episode one, right, you start on Naboo, you go to a pit stop on Tatooine, uh, meet this annoying little kid uh, who turns out to do something important, I think, in the story, and uh, you go to Coruscant for a second, back to Naboo, that's the movie. Three planets, right? Rogue One is completely different. From the very beginning of the movie, they, they're immediately using visual storytelling to set up this sense of scale in the universe that we have not seen before. For one, we're introduced to a whole slew of new planets. The only planet that we have seen before is, of course, Yavin, um, which, you know, had such a minor role in the original trilogy. Uh, and Mustafar. And we do, of course, see Mustafar again. <laughs> but, and, you know, it's a, it's a lava planet. Right, it's, but it's, and it's not credited. So someone who isn't a diehard Star Wars fan like us may not know that is Mustafar. Yeah, they might not know the name. They're just going to say, oh, it's that lava planet. Right. The lava planet. The lava planet. The, the one where <laughs> Jedi go to die. Right. Every sci-fi universe needs a lava that, planet. That should be like a sign as you're flying in, like Futurama style, like as you're <laughs> flying in. Welcome to Mustafar, where Jedi go to die. Well, technically, no Jedi have ever died on Mustafar. There's just, there's all these different planets. And in the opening scenes of the movie, we get just such a rapid succession of different places. I mean, from that unnamed planet that uh, Jin, Mommy, and Daddy are hanging out on. Uh, and then we go to that weird asteroid base that it has a name, but I can't remember yeah, it. But it's, it's cool as hell. And then you go and you see Jeddah, and then you go and you see Scarif. And, and there's just, there's all these different places, and you see them so quickly. 
And the cinematography really helps to capture this feeling, just the angles from which it's shot. We haven't seen anything like that in a Star Wars movie before. And, you know, one of the common complaints, which I tend to agree with, is that in the, in the prequel trilogy, there's just so much CGI that you kind of lose your sense of where the world is. But the planets in Rogue One... They're not overly busy for the most part. You know, you get you get these vast senses of size. Uh, you know, all across the universe, rapid succession. It just it feels like a big place, which you know I just don't. I never got that feeling from any other Star Wars movie. And it for me, it just made the universe feel more alive mm -hmm. than it ever has before. Um, which is big because I've been a Star Wars nerd all of my life. I mean, if you make me like the Star Wars universe more, you're doing something really well. Right. Like, even just, uh, you know, the, after the opening credits, we see those Saturn-like rings uh, around the planet, and then we go in, and it's, you know, of course... If you it's, like it, put a ring on it. <laughs> you know, obviously it was, uh, it was filmed in Iceland, but it looked amazing. You know, it looked, it felt like a real planet, and that's that's the thing. And then, of course, like I said, we go to the, the outpost, which is just a, essentially in an asteroid belt. Why haven't we done that before? Oh, that, yeah. that was an amazing and great idea. It's like, of course these places exist, you know, not just, not every place is going to be a planet to where it's a hub for all these places to do trading. When we talk about Star Wars, you know, to have these exotic places is what makes Star Wars Star Wars. I agree completely. And, you know, and then there's also the second part of that too, and I think that this is actually where it really comes in, which is that... For lack of a better way of describing it, Rogue One feels kind of like Game of Thrones in the sense that there's a ton of different characters to keep track of and everybody dies. And there's a lot of incest. There's... No, I mean, they just kiss a little bit. I mean, come on, you never made out with, like, your cousin or something? No. Moving on. <laughs> Where am I? What I'm talking about is, in the other seven movies, okay... It's all about the struggle of two or three main characters. The whole film follows them. They're, they're, they're close together throughout most of the movie. And, and it's just all about the, the, the struggles and the trials that they go through. Okay? You know, the trilogy, the prequels, it's all about Obi-Wan and Anakin. You get a little bit of Padme focus in there. And then, obviously, uh, Darth Psycho, um, you know, he's in there a little bit. But, really, it's, it's mostly about them. Same thing with the, uh, the original trilogy, right? It's all about Luke, Han, Leia. And then, in, uh, in the new one... Uh, episode seven, of course, we get you know we get Finn, uh, we get Ray, and then you know there's a couple of other sub characters that support it. But Rogue One isn't like that. Rogue One, there's just so many characters that are significant to the story, and we get the perspectives of all of them as they're in these different places. And as the movie goes on, they kind of, their stories they interlap, they they weave together, and then they finally kind of come together at the end. But it it it, it gives more feeling to the opening of the movie of this just being a really big place with lots of really different people. I mean, just look at all of the, the characters that are important in Rogue One and look how how different they are. Right. I mean, you've got you've got Jin Erso, who I'm gonna I'm gonna crap on a little bit later. You've got Crassian, who I'm gonna crap on later. You know, very different people, often at odds. You got K2SO, the best droid in in the history of, of Star Wars, uh, because let's be honest, you know He's great and I have some beats with him. I'm going to kill you. You've got, uh, what's his name, Sagarera. You've got uh, a pilot whose name I keep forgetting. Bodie Rook. You've got Krennic. You've got Tarkin. You've got Vader. You've, you've just got so many different characters. And, I, and, and that all really works together to create that feeling of size. Right. And talking about these different characters, that brings me to my bad. Okay, here's, here's my, the issue that I have with the movie. And 
it's kind of like the flip side of the thing that I liked about it, actually. Um, my least favorite thing about the movie, I think, was The Rebels. And that's not just because I'm Empire all the way. You know, there are, you know, Han Solo, Luke, Leia, they're, they're rebels. They're absolutely rebels. But, like, for whatever reason, you don't, you don't, I, I don't, I don't dislike them the way I disliked so many of the characters in, in Rogue One. There were some characters that I loved. And one of my favorite things about the Rebels was the way that they managed to add so much gray area to them. You know, the Crassian killing this guy in the in his very opening scene before we really know anything about Crassian. Uh, who and this guy's not even Imperial, right? That that adds that level of gray area that these that these people do have to do horrible things mm -hmm. to to defeat this the, the, you know this empire that they're fighting against. It it makes the empire feel more threatening than it ever has before because of that. Love it. The characters themselves, though, that's that's where I feel like the movie fell flat. You know, Jin Erso to me, I mean, you know, she's the closest that we get to a, a, a protagonist. I, I I find the character to be just kind of inconsistent and right. not really that interesting. You know, Rey has a lot of mysteriousness to her. She's a very interesting character. Princess Leia's got a shit ton of personality. You got to love it. You know, Padme's the same way. Um, you know, these major female characters, but. Jin just didn't do it for me. I mean, she basically spends the whole movie letting her her path be kind of directed by other people. And her motivations are so wildly inconsistent. At the beginning of the movie, she wants nothing to do with anyone. And then suddenly, you know, just, you know, she, she talks to her dad as she's dying, guy she hasn't seen in ten freaking years, and suddenly the most important thing in the world becomes defeating the Empire, something that she scoffed at ten minutes of screen time ago. I mean, her character, his, her, it feels so inconsistent to me, and that's just one example. Right. Like you mentioned, she's so inconsistent, that was the big thing that bothered me with her. So at the start of the film, like you said, she had nothing to want to do with it. And then she sees a, a, you know, a nice little video recording of her father, and now, like you said, she's she wants to help out in some way. And the thing that bothered me is when we saw her in the trailer, when we first kind of introduced to her through trailers and stuff like that, she was the person who, you know, got pulled into it in some fashion, right? Mm -hmm. Where the rebels were almost, in a way, forcing her. And then throughout the movie, you know, next thing you know, she's making like three inspirational speeches in front of people. Yeah, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. It, it, I find it difficult to believe that someone would be willing to die for something that less than a day or two previously... <laughs> They wanted nothing to do with like it, it. Just doesn't feel strong, and I don't. I don't feel as invested in her as a character as I do in any of the other female leads in Star Wars. Or looks wise. Yeah, I agree with that too. <laughs> no offense to the woman; she's attractive, but she's no, you know, she's no Natalie Portman. No Natalie Portman. Indeed. I mean, you know, if, no, I don't think anyone's Natalie Portman. Um, now, and let's talk about. Let's touch on a few of the others, though. I yeah. mean, Sagarera is another great example. I mean. I find him, you know, I find his character to just become really uninteresting. I mean, for one, he does. I don't. He, I don't buy him as somebody that could that could inspire that level of, of extremism in a group of, of people. Like he, he doesn't have charisma. He he's not an interesting character to watch conversations to watch. Like I, I just don't find him to be an interesting character. And I also think that his whole motivation and his whole mission doesn't make sense. Like, he, he sees himself as the, you know, he, he talks about how passionately he wants to defeat the Empire, how important the cause is to him, and his what he's doing about it is hiding in a hole in a random desert planet, doing very little to affect the overall balance of power. And something that I do, I do want to point out in terms of, like, rebel gray area, before I get back to my topic, a little tangent here, you know, 
I'm a guy that has an English literature degree, so I'm the person that, you know, when you're in high school and the author says the curtains are blue, I'm that person that reads way too much into it, okay? Mm -hmm. So you may disagree with this, uh, but from everything that I saw the five times that I've watched that movie, the rebels that Guerrera commands are shockingly reminiscent of ISIS. Like, they behave in much the same way as like Islamic terrorists do in our world. I mean, they're they're striking from the shadows against this much more technologically advanced regime, except the only difference here is is that in real life, we're the evil empire. We just don't see ourselves that way. Something I find kind of interesting about it. Touching on some of the others, you know, Crassian, I felt like I felt like he was very well acted and his character had a lot of interesting motivations, but the character was just so one-dimensional. And there was no chemistry between him and Jin. I mean, it was I just, it was like Natalie and Hayden all over it. Just on the whole, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's K2SO, who's, who is the best character in the entire movie, obviously. You know, he's kind of the one exception, but you just look across the board at all these different characters that are participating in the Rebels. I mean, there's that, there's that guy I keep forgetting Buddy the name Rook. of. That one. And, I mean, just, to me, none of them were particular, particularly memorable. I mean, really, the only exception to that rule for me is IP Man and his buddy. I mean, sure. those two are fantastic absolutely fantastic but they just they don't get as much spotlight as i feel like they deserve based on how more much more interesting they are than the other characters mm -hmm. sure it was a very very fun and interesting character as i think we can all agree at this point the only downside is i feel like even though he was you know uh, a believer in the force I wanted I, to see a lightsaber. Well, not only, no, I didn't want to see a lightsaber. I didn't want to see anything. I actually feel like he used too much of a force ability in this movie than I wanted to see. Now, the, the whole him walking across the, you know, uh, scarif to If you're to about to knock the, on that scene, I'm going I'm to not. punch you. I'm saying that was <laughs> enough force for me. That seems to, to see him take out a whole squadron of stormtroopers by himself, uh, a little unbelievable for me. In, in this world of, of space wizards I'm bitching about. So. We're talking about a universe in which you've got a guy who is like 150 years old who opens a fight by doing a 920. Yes. That's what okay. I'm talking about. And, you, and you have a problem with a blind dude hitting a couple of incompetent soldiers with a stick. <laughs> I do. Very interesting. So to wrap this guys up, I want to, guys, I want to talk about the awesome, okay? Let's talk the For awesome. For me, the best thing about Rogue One, the, the area in which it just truly excelled beyond anything else was the visual spectacle of it. I mean, the, the cinematography, the visuals of the film are absolutely amazing. And to me, that was most represented by the Death Star. The Death okay. Star was awesome. The Death Star was unbelievably awesome. I mean, they've basically, what they've really done is they've taken something that, as iconic as it is, is not actually that large of a part of the overall story and made an entire movie that's basically just a love letter to this giant floating ball yeah okay they've made a love letter in the form of a movie to this thing i mean as iconic as it is in episode four right the whole movie's about blowing it up but it, you know it, it's just it's just a big weapon mm -hmm. okay and in episode six they try to build a new one for some inexplicable reason and in episode seven they get the uh the gigantic uh supersized <laughs> mattel ripoff I uh, which hate I, I hate star killer base as well uh, but they managed, to me at least, they managed to make the Death Star so much more intimidating and awe-inspiring in Rogue One than it ever has been before. From like from the close-up shots in the initial where they're putting the disc in place to, to me, what is what is probably the most visually awe-inspiring moment in the entire movie, which is when it destroys Jeddah City, and you've got that unbelievable shot of the U-Wing trying to escape from the cloud of, of like dust and rock raining down. Like Everything about the Death Star 
in the movie I, I find to be presented so well. You know, I, I had an argument with a friend recently who didn't like how much they kind of, they, they felt like they downplayed when it destroyed Jeddah in at least the opening. That was me. Uh, that was, that, no, that was a different friend, but oh, you okay. apparently agree. Which is, you know, there are a lot of people that just kind of complained that it, there, was, there was no music, it was kind of silent, they just did a quick shot of the laser coming down and then they went back to what the characters were talking about. Right. To me, that, that moment was so artistically done. You know, it was just like, it, it, it was, the, the, the moment of destruction was sort of underplayed, um, but you knew it was coming. It created this intense feeling of like, holy shit, they have no idea what's about to hit them. They need to get the hell out of there. It, to me, it made that moment so tense, so adrenaline-packed. Like, I found that entire scene, visually, everything to be absolutely beautiful. I think the Death Star in this movie was fantastic. I, all right, so I'll, I'll tell you why I disagree with you. I feel like the, the Death Star was a little underplayed, and I feel like the visuals of it were fantastic. Everything you just mentioned. The only thing I have a beef with is the sound design. When we see the Death Star fire in, say, A New Hope, right, you, you hear, you know, you see all the different working parts of who is, you know, flipping switches and pulling levers and just all of those sound designs of all the different communication, the switches hitting, the levers being pulled down, that right? Because then it's, and then you hear that, and it's like charging up noise, and then the fire, right? And with this, it was just very quiet, and there like, was no music. Quiet like the grave that they just built for 100 million people with one blast. Or quiet like... It's symbolism, Dave! The symbolism is so strong. That's that's what I really love about it. But I do see your point. Right. I mean, I understand that from like from a purely technical standpoint that, that that it sounded more intimidating in episode four and episode six. Absolutely, I agree. But just there's something menacing about the absolute silence of such a massive amount of destruction. And and when you you know yes, and maybe it sounded differently because it was more intimidating at that point. It was at full power. It was destroying a planet. Um, you know, so who knows? But like I said, the visuals of it are great. Um, you know, uh, even just uh, all of the scenes of the visual arcs where you see the Death Star, you know, floating essentially upside down. We never seen it like in a three D perspective like that. Yeah, and that again, that's one of the, the kind of the beauties of this movie from the filmmaking perspective. That goes back to my my original point about the sense of scale is that. We've, we're, we're able to do so much different with the way that the camera is viewing everything because not everything is just a tiny model that's being viewed close up. Um, but overall, to me, Death Star was absolutely the most fantastic. Well, it symbolized the most fantastic part of the movie, which is the sheer amount of beautiful visual storytelling that took place. Um, those are my thoughts on, on Rogue One. Uh, Dave, you want to sign us off? Sure, guys. If, you, uh, if you've enjoyed the topic, guys, make sure to hit that like button if you haven't already and subscribe to the channel. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to go ahead and follow up with a nice, awesome review for us, guys. We'd really appreciate it. We're going to be going ahead and reading some of your uh, reviews here in the next few episodes, so make sure to keep those reviews coming so we can feature you. As well as, guys, if you have an idea for a topic, make sure to comment below with your topic. It might be featured on the show. And if you're listening to the uh, Uncensored MP3, guys, all you have to do is tweet at CockyCockpit. Uh, and just uh, let us know your topic. Absolutely. Guys, stay cocky.